You're listening to Inspirational Decency, and there's no turning back. Hello, Father. It has been three years since my last confession, and since then I have had a lot of fun. Oh, Father, I can't wait to tell you. My tales of drunken and hedonistic debauchery. Strap yourself in, buckle yourself over, and tuck in your chin strap. Because you're about to get rocked, rolled, and wholly sold. Whatever that means. In any case, Father... I have a series of smaller sins to confess to you this go-around. After which I will build up to the larger sin that I have carried deep within the lockbox of my psyche, strapped tightly with steel wire and glued shut with old macaroni and cheese. First, I will read my list of somewhat more minor sins. Number one, I coveted an ox. Number two, I put Axe body spray on my tongue and pretended I'd been maced. Number three, I skipped out on an important hernia I'd already rescheduled. Number four, I completely disrespected cats and cat culture. Number five, on eight different occasions, I totally went there. Number six, I perpetuated the stereotype of Polish Americans as being off the hook. Number seven, I forgot to dance as if no one is watching, and instead I danced as if I was under strict observation by Interpol. Number eight, I put out a concept album about stew called Stew Askew that did not once mention stew. Number nine, I changed the final lines of The Great Gatsby to, and so we beat on, boats against the current, slapping each other's butts. And the last one, I made eight pounds of otter jerky and didn't offer any of it to my local magician. Shameful as these smaller confessions may seem to you, Father, I have a secret that burns even deeper within the furnace of my putrid, yet oddly fragrant soul. It all began in March of 1987. That was the year that Disco reigned supreme. Elvis had stopped combing his hair and instead starting started to wear it in a sort of high bun the Cuban Missile Crisis 
was celebrated in song by Tears for Fears. And Michael Bolton finally gave in. Oh, what a time to be alive, Father. I'm sure you remember that you are. You would have been at least four at the time. Oh, I'm sorry. 37. You would have been 37. You look far younger than you really are, Father, because you have lived so little of this cornucopia, this whirling dervish carnival that we call existence. And I both envy and pity you for this fact, Father. Because while you have never experienced the loss of a loved one or seen your child uh, blow up in your face at his piano recital, at the same time you've never experienced the thrill of dancing the foxtrot with Al Capone's female impersonator. Oh, Father, how to relay this message to you in a way that you can relate to. I suppose that's not the point of confession. It's simply to unload whatever burden I have been struggling with that has been tied to my metaphorical back all these metaphorical years. Uh, it is, in a sense, a sort of metaphorical back surgery with metaphorical nerve gas. Nerve gas? That's, is that what they, that, that's not what they would use to put people under. Nerve gas? Maybe. <laughs> look, look who I'm asking. I'm asking a man who has never gone, has never experienced the joy of playing basketball and having his knee give a loud pop. Oh, Father. When will you experience the joy of breaking your knee during a game of pickup? You sad, pathetic creature. In any case, I've veered into insulting you, Father, and that is not what I came to do. Anyway, back to my story. Well, it was 1987, as I was saying, and uh, it was a heady time to be alive. And uh, that is around the time that I met a young girl by the name of Gingsch. Gingst was a student at the local clock academy in nearby Boingston. Every weekend I would take the train from wherever it is I lived then to Gingst to see Boingst. And it was heaven. I know you have not experienced the joy of romantic love, Father. I know that uh, in the priesthood, even thinking about uh, the nude form of a man or a woman means that you have to flog yourself with a cat of nine tails and shout repeatedly the mantra, love is the sexiest punishment, love is the sexiest punishment, which does not seem to be the most effective way of driving such impure thoughts from your mind, but far be it from me to judge how the church operates 
It is beyond my dominion. But oh, those weekends, Father, taking the train to Boinkston to see Gwinched. We made love so many times and in so few places. Oh, what a time, Father. When you're in love, everything around you seems to be revitalized with a certain je ne sais quoi, a certain uh, pulse seems to be beating in your surroundings that you didn't notice before. That everything seems sort of spring-loaded, uh, fully animated, truly alive with the beat of the universe, as it were. I remember Goinched and I would walk through the park in Winkston, which, as you might know, has uh, at least eight talking lions. They, they don't uh, say anything particularly interesting. They just kind of uh, will come up to you and start making small talk about the weather. And usually they might... Uh, ask you what the the day holds and you'll say lion i don't have time but thank you very much for taking the time to be my friend however you are an ungodly monster that's how most of my conversations would go with the talking lions of boinkston park so we would stroll through the park boinkston i staring into each other's mouths and talking through each other's tongues which uh, takes some doing you really gotta kind of get your voice in there and just kind of blow hard into the other person's mouth as if uh, as if they're like a kazoo that uh, has a, a weird blockage that you gotta kind of shoot out like it's got a, you got a wad of paper in there really got to blow hard like an old saxophone or something but it can be done so we would stand in the park talking lions to the left right and northeast of us blowing into each other's mouths and uh cutting each other's hair ah what a sight we were two miscreants two silly roustabouts professing our love for each other in a manner that most found distasteful the talking lions talking lions are very emotionally reserved uh, that's what I have found what holds them back father what keeps them in their cages of emotional paralysis is it the fear of encountering difference? Is it insecurity at being different themselves? Well, okay, so you're not going to answer. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I'm not sure what use you are at this point. Anyway, things were grand. And then, finally, the unthinkable happened. One day, we were getting ice cream at our local ice cream parlor which I believe was called 
Chocolate Chunks Space Flakes Academy, which has the best vanilla bing bangers you have ever tasted. Like ambrosia upon the tongue, Father. In any case, as we were eating our delicious ice cream, which uh, instead of coming in a cone or a cup, actually came inside of a, an edible pencil. So you would have like the, the it was fake wood that was actually uh, candy, hard candy. And you'd eat the edible pencil, pencil and it was uh, delicious ice cream. Why mankind hadn't thought of that before five years ago, or no, 25 years ago, sorry. I shall never know. But anyway, we're eating our edible ice cream pencils. Like two little defense lawyers in love. And at one point, she announced that she needed cash. She was visiting a tanning parlor later in the day to rob it at gunpoint. And... Why she needed cash for this, I'm not sure. Oh, because afterwards she was going to celebrate with uh, a dinner at the keg, which is... I mean, that's standard in the armed robbery industry. And so she decided to go across the street to the nearest bank machine and get some money. And Father, you will not believe what transpired. Two minutes after she left, I looked across the street, and I saw a crowd of people had gathered. My heart stopped, as you can imagine, and I, it, it was as if time had stopped completely. Someone had pressed freeze frame on the DVD copy of our, of our lives, and I rushed out of that ice cream parlor, and I ran over to that crowd of people. And who did I see in the middle of that circle, lying dead? Then my beloved Gwinched. A car had struck her simply because she walked in front of it without looking. The injustice, father, is too vast to fathom. Suddenly, it occurred to me that we live in a world in which mankind cannot step out into the street without irrationally having to look one way then the next for oncoming traffic. Are we truly human, Father, or, or are we so animalistic that we don't know how to use brakes if someone jumps out in front of us. It really makes you question the notion of uh, justice. <sighs> Any case, Father, the driver of the vehicle had long since driven away. And I made it my duty to find that person. And that brings us to part two of the sin I am confessing. 
So, Father, my beloved Gwenshda was dead. And along with her went everything that seemed valuable and vital about life itself. The trees seemed a little less arrogant. The air wasn't as green as it used to be. Local children just didn't have the same spark that they used to when I would throw firecrackers at them. Now they just seem to take it too easily. They didn't cry out with the same gusto. Ah, oh, Father, things were drab and dire indeed. What was I to do in order to retain my sense of joy, of of vital essence? Well, the only thing I could think of that would restore my sense of joie de vivre was the sweet tang of revenge. And so I became consumed with the thought of tracking down whoever it was that had taken my sweet goinched from me. I searched high and low. I searched the library. I searched the reference desk at the library. I searched every study carol at the library. And while the verbal assaults I carried out upon library patrons was in some sense therapeutic, it just didn't produce the results I'd hoped for. And so, I hired a private detective to track down the license plate whose numbers I had committed to memory. But that detective ultimately skipped town with my money, leaving behind a note that read, What is a private detective again? I forgot. Now it was unclear to me why he hadn't simply asked me what a private detective was before skipping town. It would have saved me the headache. But I, I guess professional embarrassment kept him from risking his pride. So in any case, I knew it was up to me at this point. And so I kept scouring the hills, hanging out in malls, blowing up vacant warehouses. That last thing wasn't so much related to the search for my wife as it was just uh, kind of a, a hobby. But you know, people, people need hobbies. Even if you're searching for the person responsible for your wife's death. 
one needs to unwind, whether playing golf, or knitting, or watching a once-bustling location of commerce engulfed in flames against the purple night sky. Anyway, that's off topic. I searched high, I searched low. I searched inside of trash cans. I I searched outside of trash cats. Trash cats being cats who hang around in trash. That seems pretty obvious to me. I don't know why you were unclear on that phrase, but whatever. And yet, for years and years and years, my search proved futile. And then, two years ago, I was speaking at a conference for dirtbags in Reno, Nevada. If you must know, I was the keynote speaker, and my talk on night peeping proved to be very well received, especially from the event's other keynote speaker, a certain Mr. Larry Flint. In any case, after the conference was over and I had collected my $5,000 speaking fee, I was going to kill some time in Reno by peeping into the houses in various residential neighborhoods and thinking of days gone by. When on the bus out of town, who should I encounter but the owner of a feathered mullet that I suddenly remembered from all those decades ago a mullet that had been repressed in my memory but now came flooding back wavy and luxurious as the tides of memory I followed this woman off the bus and after several meters I finally caught up to her and asked her, 1987, do you remember where you were? And she said, probably watching Beverly Hills Cop 2. It was a laugh riot. Why do you ask and who are you? I explained who I was, at which point she fell to her knees and pleaded for forgiveness. Now, Father, I who had been consumed for lo those many decades by the spirit of revenge, one would not expect me to bestow such a gift upon her. And yet, pleading for my benevolence, I thought of the many times I had been driving down the street and hadn't bothered to stop for pedestrians. 
And I thought to myself, if I ever encountered any of the parents of the 37 people I have struck and killed with my automobile, wouldn't I ask for that same mercy? But Father, I could not honestly say that I would not expect that mercy and charity. And so, I let her go after she agreed to donate $8,000 to the charity of my choice, my bank account. Ah, so that thus ends my saga, Father. And yet, I imagine you asking yourself, where's the sin? To what sin does he confess now? What did he do, exactly, that would require a certain number of Hail Marys to absolve him? Well, Father, the answer to that is simple. During a break in the conference, I pushed Larry Flint out of his wheelchair. It was funny, and yet cruel. You may now be asking yourself, why did he tell me the story of his late beloved girlfriend if it had nothing to do with the sins he was confessing? Father, that is another story for another time. Uh, well, I guess it's not really that complicated a reason. I'm just uh, lonely. Don't really have uh, anyone to talk to. I mean, I give talks at conferences for dirtbags. Most dirtbags don't have a lot of friends. Which reminds me, Father, if you are available to be my friend, please call the following number. 1-867-538-EW. Well, Father, I believe that just about does it. In closing, I would like you to think about this. If you give a man a fish, he will eat it and no longer be hungry. But if you teach a man how to eat fish, you will ensure that he will know how to eat fish. And then he will no longer be hungry. Father, this is all of the wisdom I have time to impart to you this week. If you want any more, it's a gonna cost ya. Good night. Sweet dreams. Oh, which reminds me, I I'm sorry I broke into your house to confess this to you. I, I guess I, I could have waited until the church was open tomorrow, but I, uh, I really had to share this with you. Anyway, like I said, sweet dreams and good night. <laughs>